thank you all for being back tonight and for the invitation to be your speaker uh, this weekend. I know that uh, there are many of our people that are not here, but you are here. And I pray that there will be something said in tonight's lesson that will be very beneficial to you. I appreciate the elders and those responsible for uh, the invitation to come and to be your speaker. I don't need to tell you that the last year to year and a half have brought about changes in the lives of all of us that prior to the pandemic we would never have dreamed of. Our world, our society, our very way of life in some ways, these things have changed forever. And tonight I'm wanting to help us as we try to navigate, and I have entitled the lesson, Successfully Dealing with Changes in Life. It's ironic that there was an article in the July 2019 Christian Chronicle. I don't know how many of you uh, received that, but you, if you do, you can go back or perhaps go online. I don't know how you do all of that. But in the July 2019 edition of the Christian Chronicle, Nancy Olert had an article, and she entitled it, What a Brain Tumor Taught Me About Change and the Church. This is pre-pandemic. Ironic. Underneath that title were these words, Transition is inevitable and scary, but God's rocks remain. She recounted, Before surgery, my neurologist was rather grim. There's a chance you won't make it off the table, Nancy. We're going to do our best. If you do survive the surgery, there's a good chance you'll be blind or partially blind. Wow. What if you received news like that? Actually, all of life is a matter of change. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 4 says, A generation comes and a generation goes. I decided to use Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 8 as my text for tonight's lesson. It reads, There is an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance or rejoice. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up the lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. A very hard, bitter pill is to accept the fact that nothing in this life remains static or unchanged. We sing the song, Time is Filled with Swift Transition. Naught of earth unmoved shall stand. 
Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. A good song. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Some changes are good. Some changes are a blessing. In our text, it said a time to plant. And what gardener or farmer has not planted seed and in about 10 days looked with joy as you see it start popping through? I I never get over being thrilled after I planted my okra to see that okra starting to pop up. And I'm hoping for a good stand. And uh, every farmer can identify with that. James 5 verse 7 uh, says, Behold the farmer who waits for the precious uh, fruit of the soil and waits patiently for the early and latter rains. Jesus said, If a grain of wheat falls uh, into the ground, and, and if a grain of wheat abides uh, by itself, uh, how does it say it? Truly, I truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's what this what the scriptures say. So that's a change that is good. We need to understand God says to the uh, to um, Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And every uh, young couple after they've been married a while, and they learn that they're going to be blessed with a little bundle of joy. They know that that's going to change their lives forever. That's change. That's a good change. And that just sets in motion a lot of changes as they see that child grow up. And then finally, that child leaves home. And uh, they're back 25 years later uh, where they started, only they're a whole lot older and there are a lot more changes looming on the horizon. We understand that. Sometimes there are changes in our own physical health. We start to have to need uh, help with our eyes and our hearing and talk about hair uh, for some of us men, 10 years can make a tremendous difference. As uh, some people say, what hair? Uh, we recognize that there are changes. Uh, we need help sometimes in ways that we didn't used to have. Uh, need help even sometimes even to get dressed or we can't drive anymore. And there's just all of these. These changes, some of them are gradual, and so we can get used to them a little at a time. But there are some changes that are suddenly thrust upon us. There's a tragedy, there's an accident, or there's an illness, or there's an event to, uh, to a loved one. I, I'm from Oklahoma City. We have in the congregation where I worship there, uh, the preacher, uh, his sister was killed in the Oklahoma City bombing, and he talks about that. Uh, rather regularly. Uh, you just don't get over things like that. Those are, are changes that are, are thrust upon us. Changes that are unpredictable. And there's no fixing it. No going back to the way it was before. I, I remember very vividly when my mother was hit with a debilitating stroke. And she never walked or talked again. And she would be in that condition for the last two years of her life. That's change that we don't like. Some of us, uh, we lose our mates uh, there's just so many things. And some of us, those children I mentioned, uh, they make bad choices, independent from what we desire. Uh, there's an un- unplanned pregnancy, or maybe there's, uh, they leave the church, or perhaps uh, they, uh, they become estranged from the family. And so those are changes that come, and we do not like them. 
Second major point in my lesson tonight, how do we successfully deal with changes in life? The very question implies that there's a wrong way to deal with these changes. When this sermon was in its embryonic stage, I called my sibling, my sister, my only sibling, a blood sibling. She has been fraught with tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. She was four years old when she was struck with polio. I would uh, perform her wedding ceremony when she was 18 years old. Her and her husband could not have children. They would adopt a little boy, and he would become a precious boy. Strong, rode bulls in the rodeo. But at the age of 20, he was in a snowstorm in New Mexico. Went off the side of a mountain. They airlifted him to the hospital. He had friends there, and he was joking with them and saying, Ah, I'll go in and get this surgery, and I'll be back out and talk to you. And he died on the operating table. My sister would later learn that her husband was being untrue to her with multiple affairs. Divorce. She would then marry a very good man. They would have two boys, but the oldest would become an alcoholic and a drug addict, lazy, wouldn't hold a job, just wanted to play his guitar and write music. And in 2018, an accidental alcohol and drug overdose took his life. Right after that, my sister's husband's health tanked. He passed away this last August. They had bought five properties to try to enhance their retirement, and now every last one of those need thousands of dollars of, uh, of uh, reconstruction and the such just, just to be able to keep them rented, and she can't even sell them for anything that they're, what they're worth. And all I'm telling you is I felt that she was a good one to call. So I called her. And I said, I just want to know what I'm working on this sermon. What would you suggest? What can I tell the people? How do you successfully navigate through tragedy after tragedy and the changes that occur? And here is what she said. The only way I can keep my sanity is to compartmentalize. That simply means she takes one problem and puts it in its compartment. She said, I cannot deal with all of them at the same time. And I thought, that's good advice. To learn to say, okay, I can't deal with that one today. I compartmentalize that. I compartmentalize this. I need to take care of this, etc. So that is the beginning of how you're going to deal with some of the problems. Now, there are some people, the problem isn't that there's change, it's that they try to live as though there is no change. They want to ignore it. They want to try to act like nothing is wrong. And that's the wrong thing to do too. Because it will result in depression, in a loss of faith, 
in uh, trying to, to cope in other ways. And as a result, they become bitter and senile. And I have done some counseling. I've counseled three people who tried to commit suicide. One of them put a 14 shotgun to his belly. I had performed his wedding ceremony. And he had learned that he came in one night and his wife was on the phone to a lover. And that's what he did. He went in and pulled a 410 uh, shotgun to his stomach. I have counseled three people who have tried to commit suicide and lived. You know what I found out? Every last one of them felt like they needed some relief. Relief. And so all I'm telling you is, you need to face the changes. You need to not ignore them. The challenge is to move through grieving to the point that you can mourn, not dwelling on the way it used to be, but trying to accept the way it is now as the new normal. I say try to accept. There was an article in the in the Hutchin, or rather the uh, Oklahoma City uh, newspaper that talks about uh, the, uh, the, uh, the reality of impermanence. The idea is that it's a reality, that change is going on and it continues. And uh, we need to accept that and not miss the opportunity to be engaged with life as it begins to unfold. There are many people who are working at navigating transitions while others are just fearful and, uh, and uh, angry and upset. And let me say that all of us are looking for some anchors in life. And I'm now going to refer you to Hebrews chapter 6. Jesus, rather, the Hebrew writer, in Hebrews chapter 6, Verse 19 says this, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. There is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. If you back up to verse 17, uh, he will talk about the unchangeableness of God's purpose for his heirs. But look at verse 18. In order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope that is set before us. And it is then that he says, this hope is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. The Nancy Olert had mentioned God's rocks. And that gave me an idea, and I thought, what are God's rocks that would help us with these changes in life? And I started thinking, and I I came up with five. And this probably is the major weight of tonight's sermon in trying to help us as we deal with changes in life. First of all, God is still on his throne And God is in charge, and God does not change. Malachi 3 and verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. God does not change. Nothing takes God by surprise. A 
favorite psalm of mine is Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. That passage says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be changed and the mountains slip into the midst of the sea. Mountains are about the strongest, most stable thing that I can think of on this earth. And even if those are moved, he says, we have a God. We have a God who's uh, our refuge and strength. I like Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is complete toward him. So God is still in his throne, on his throne, and he is in charge. That's the first rock. And just set, set your clock by that one. Number two, Jesus Christ is still on the throne, uh, at the, beside the throne, is still w- waiting for his bride to come uh, home. I remember when Jesus was discouraged and he asked his disciples, uh, will you also go away? And in John 6, verse 68, uh, uh, Peter said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so that will help us also. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 is another favorite passage of mine. It says, He is able to save forever those who come or draw near to God through Him, seeing He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Uh, Jesus is making intercession. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. And Jesus is making intercession for us. So that is the second rock. God is on his throne, and Jesus is at his right hand, and Jesus is seated waiting for his bride. The medley of faith in Scripture might be Matthew 28, verse 20, Lo, I'm with you. With you, always, even to the end of the earth or the age. Uh, Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you could go on and on. And by the way, Hebrews 13, verse 8, put that one down. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. and He will not change. So you've got the two. Number three is the Holy Spirit is still active in the believer. He still moves and he still comforts. I'm going to Romans chapter 8 now, and I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. A passage that should help us, even in all the changes in life, to realize I'm not in this by myself. I'm in Romans 8, 26. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings, Uh, too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Number four, the Bible is still the word of God. Psalm 117, verse 2, the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word is, in fact, Hebrews 4 and verse 12, 
says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. This, I have said this before, probably you remember this over the years, that this that I hold in my hand is not just ink on paper. Uh, This is living and active, the word of God. And we've got to understand that. The Holy Word answers questions. It gives us examples of people who have been faced with some of the transitions that, that we're faced with, and yet it stands. It's the rock of Gibraltar. You study this, and this will help you be strong enough to withstand even the loss of a mate or a child. I'm dealing with that in, an, in another family right now that a, that a child has uh, at the age of 50 has gotten COVID, by the way, and passed this life when they thought that she was getting better. Uh, So many things. There's a last fifth rock. We've got God is on his throne. Jesus Christ is is seated beside of him. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the, the Bible. And one last thing, and that is God's promises. That is a last rock. God's promises. We read that a moment ago that God cannot lie. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, actually, uh, 16 through 18, says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outward man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so those are the rocks. And let me say this, as long as we have those rocks in place, the anchors of the soul We're going to be okay. Other things will change every day. We don't know who holds the future, but we know, or we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. I like the old farmer who had a barn and it was beginning to lean, so he had to prop up poles to keep it up. And he got the idea to pray this way, and I love it. He says, Lord, prop me up on the leaning side. And that's my prayer. There are things that causes me to be so stressed and I began to lean. Lord, prop me up on my leaning side. I like Psalm 23 and verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod, thy staff, they comfort. Nancy Olert ended that article that I mentioned earlier by stating, marginal Christianity is no longer an option for me. God got my attention when I faced death and was mercifully given more time. Now every day is God's. My mission in life, in whatever time I have left, is to encourage anyone who will listen uh, to the message that all of life's changes and transitions in it all we face in life are ultimately for our benefit. 
Let me say that to try to negotiate the changes in life that are inevitable without God is to play the fool. You may not like those words, but it is. So I'm going to end the sermon tonight with an invitation. And uh, I'm going to tell you that if you have never obeyed the gospel, you need to do that immediately. Or if you are, as she talked about, a marginal Christian and you have not really uh, been dedicated in your life, then now's the time to rededicate your life. And so we're going to give that invitation. And if you would like to respond to that, we would ask that you go to the back and one of the elders will take care of you. Would you please stand while together we stand and sing?